Welcome to Private Club Radio, your weekly source for industry education, news and discussion. Broadcasting from Tampa, Florida, ladies and gentlemen, here is your host, Gabriel Aloisi. Welcome to episode number 99. We're almost to 100 here on Private Club Radio and so glad to have you back here once again this week. We're going to be chatting with Bill O'Brien, who is the Vice President of Operations at Troon. And we had a really lively discussion about all sorts of things. We talked about membership growth, retention, how to create a culture of sales in your organization, why managers need to get out of the office immediately, in Bill's opinion, and much, much more. And before Bill comes on, we'll be chatting with Norm Spitzig in another edition of the Masterclass presented by Master Club Advisors. So it's going to be a really fun, fun episode. Those are two great people that will wake you up here on Monday morning on Cyber Monday. If you are still dragging your feet, (laughs) trying to get out of bed, these guys will wake you up. Well, it is Cyber Monday and... Hopefully you had a wonderful Thanksgiving because really that's what this is all about. It's not about deals on electronics. It's not about Black Friday sales. Thanksgiving is about being with family and with friends and appreciating the blessings that we have. And we are so lucky to be in this industry, to be in the world, in fantastic places, some of the most beautiful properties on earth. There's so much to give thanks for. And it is Cyber Monday, and hopefully you'll find some piece of electronics that you've been dying to have. I I always get roped into Black Friday and Cyber Monday stuff, and not even trying, honestly. Like last year, I walked into Costco at like 8 o'clock at night to buy some, I don't know, ketchup or something. I don't remember what it was. But I walk in there, and then they have this ridiculous sale on a TV, and I'm like... <laughs> How can I resist this? It was like $500, like 60 inch ultra high definition television. I'm like, wow. Okay. So I walked out of there with it. Now I'm a, I'm a constant researcher. So I hopped online. I'm trying to find more reviews about this thing to make sure that I really do want it because it was an impulse purchase. And there's like no information about this television. There's like one or two websites and just kind of basic information that you could find on the box. And I'm, and I'm just thinking to myself, what's going on here? Well, I did some more research and I found out that Black Friday, they actually create electronics just for Black Friday. So these are televisions, radios, or not radios probably, but stereos and all sorts of things that don't normally exist, that the product actually doesn't exist on store shelves. But they release it specifically for Black Friday. They usually strip out a lot of the features of one of their higher-end models and make a Black Friday model. And then they can price it however they'd like because they can say it's normally $1,500, but today only it's $500. And there's no price history to validate that so they can say whatever they want. There's a whole industry around just creating things specifically for Black Friday. Just like there's a whole industry creating things specifically for outlet stores. And we have a lot of outlets here in Florida, Orlando, Tampa, 
and Miami all have these big outlets. People come from all over the world to shop at and they create items just for the outlets. I mean, it's pretty ingenious, really, if you think about it, but it's also pretty scary. And so I really appreciate a brand, a company that doesn't cut corners, that doesn't sacrifice. And I'll stick with a brand that does that because I know the quality I'm going to get. I know what I buy or what I consume is going to be something that was created with passion, with dedication. And I do appreciate that. Anyway, that's the perfect lead into the conversation I'm about to have with Norm Spitzig. So I'm going to leave that one there. But before we bring Norm on, just want to talk to you about the silent auction that's taking place at the Club Leadership Summit. It's happening in just about a week from now, and you can actually get the bidding started. There are some incredible items up for bid, some incredible experiences, I should say, because this is no Cyber Monday crap. This is the real deal. If you're looking for a unique incentive for your members, so if you're running a referral program and the top referrer gets an exclusive all-expenses-paid vacation, this could be the prize, actually. One of these unique experiences being offered at the auction. For instance, they have a three-ball with playing with the general manager at Bel Air Country Club. That will be an incredible experience for three lucky people because I got to play Bel Air Country Club. And what makes it so interesting is not only is it a beautiful course, it's got a fantastic view of downtown Los Angeles kind of perched upon this hill, but you actually get to play surrounded by homes of the rich and famous. There's celebrities all over that course. And if you've got the right caddy, they'll point out all the pretty cool things that have happened and folks that have graced those fairways. Some other items that are up for bid include a foursome at the Jack Nicholas Signature Course at Desert Highlands. Also, they've got the Country Club at DC Ranch, another foursome on a Tom Lehman design, Mirabelle Country Club, Tom Fazio design, and Desert Mountain, another Nicholas Signature. So that and a lot more All of the proceeds benefit Sport Changes Life, an organization that helps disadvantaged communities and helps young people find a path to a brighter future. So for me, that's a win-win. You get not only to help out an incredible organization, but you get to provide your members with something unique, something they can't get on Cyber Monday. So check out the Sport Changes Life auction happening at the Club Leadership Summit. If you're not going to be attending, you can still bid. Go to clubleadershipsummit.com and you can fill out the contact form and let them know which of those incredible packages you'd like to place a bid on. Now it's time to bring on the masterclass. And now it's time for your monthly masterclass presented by Master Club Advisors. Welcome to another Masterclass presented by Master Club Advisors. Today, I'm joined by Norm Spitzig, Principal and Senior Partner of Master Club Advisors. Norm, how are you, man? I'm good. Good morning. How are you doing, Gabe? It's great. And it was great to spend some time with you out in Arkansas. I like to, I like to pronounce it Arkansas, just for, just for giggles. Um, but it was fun. It was great to be out there with the Razorback chapter. What did you think of it? 
It was great. Uh, for whatever reason, over the last decade, I've been to Little Rock at least a dozen times for various different things. And every time I go, um, I'm really kind of impressed with what a nice city Little Rock is. It's warm, it's welcoming, it's kind of the right size. And, and uh, I, you know, they actually turned down a bid to attract uh, the, the big um, Amazon distribution plant or something because they said it would just kind of mess up our small town feel. I like the place and the people are very warm and friendly. Yeah, Amazon is is uh, soliciting cities to bid for them to the, bring one of their new facilities, warehouses, if you will, distribution facilities, and and that was interesting. That happened right before we went there. Uh, the mayor had had written a, an article about how they don't want Amazon to come to the, to Little Rock. Pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's not they were any, they were all big supportive of Amazon. They kept saying the letter was really cool from there. It just said, look, you know, we don't really want to drastically change our kind of small town feel, and uh, good luck. <laughs> so it was nice. Right. Yeah, that's right. So our our relationship has evolved here over the last couple of years with you uh, being as a part of Private Club Radio, getting getting to know each other. Can you go through and, and tell folks uh, what's what's going on and what's new? Yes, yeah, uh, I think it's pretty interesting how we, you know, it's kind of the, the fun part of life when you meet somebody new and you and uh, you actually find out a lot of things in common. And uh, you did that with Private Club Radio. Someone told me early on about Private Club Radio, and you were kind enough to have me on as a guest a couple times. And uh, that led into, um, you know, Gary Collins and I, my Master Club Advisors partner, uh, suggestion that maybe we would come up with a master class where we talked about something educational and interesting, uh, you know, every other month or so. And so that's kind of, you know, that blossomed into uh, the idea that we both kind of had percolating in the back of our brain. Why don't we see if we could do a presentation together? And we had our debut and in Little Rock, and uh, you know, all things considered, I think it went pretty well. So yeah, we we had this really lofty title, wildly successful private club membership marketing ideas, and and uh, I got a lot of good feedback, and I bet you did too. And I think it's just the first of many that we've got, uh, you know, scheduled for next year. Yeah, everything I've heard has been great. And I think I would consider it wildly successful <laughs> for sure. Um, one thing I really enjoyed during your presentation is you talked a little bit about storytelling and how clubs really need to tell a unified story. So I'd love for you to just give folks a little insight into some of your thoughts there. I I did. And it's I heard a speaker um, recently talk about stories and he was just talking in general. And I thought, wow, this is really pretty cool if a club could actually state simply and clearly what their story is. You know, a story in the context of private club worlds is really just a, sort of a narrative design that's to maybe interest or amuse people uh, to really kind of get you thinking what your story is. And every good story, if it's going to be catchy, is gotta, can be distilled into this little simple phrase that we can all remember. And, and I think the strategic planning process, which I do a lot of for private clubs, is is great. And, we, you know, we, we are trying to find the mission and the vision and you know, uh, common goals and all of that. That's important. But sometimes we make it too complex. If we can just distill it down to saying, what is our story? What, what, what are we really about? And uh, I think that actually helps the, helps the staff and the club members distinguish themselves from other clubs. As an example, the three clubs that I've worked with in the last uh, three or four years distilled their whole mission vision down to a couple of things. One was we make members happy. And I just love that. You know, it's easy for the staff to understand. So if a member comes in, what are we going to do to make this guy happy? Another one distilled their story down into uh, understated elegance. And that sort of describes the club, that we're 
we're understated. We do things elegantly, but we're not pompous. We're not pretentious. We're we're, we're just kind of who we are. And and uh, the third one was come for the amenities, stay for the memories. And I kind of like that too. It's yeah. The membership marketing ploy that. Um, Probably is the wrong word. Membership marketing catchphrase that really allows everybody, you know, from the dishwasher and busboy and guy mowing to understand really what the club is about. So I think it's an extension. The story is really an extension or a distillation, maybe of of what the club's mission and vision, what their strategic plan is. And and during our presentation, I talked a lot about that in more detail. And and, and there's there's some really good things that come out of it. So. Uh, you know that that was setting the stage for for you, and maybe I'm turning the tables on you because uh, you had just a ton of really good ideas about attracting millennials and Gen Xs into a, a some point baby boomers to join a club. So I'm going to turn it around. What were some of the good ideas that uh, that you came up with? Because I I wrote them down. <laughs> yeah, well, usually, in that presentation, there's usually eight things I cover when it comes to trying to reach the millennial generation or. Um, really, okay. I see that when you're talking about millennials, you're really talking about a cultural shift that's happening. So anything that would appeal to that generation really does appeal to the Gen Xers and even the boomers in a lot of ways. And, you know, I obviously on this segment can't give all eight, but we'll talk about one, which I love. It's called gamification. And it's basically just turning something that would otherwise be monotonous into a game. And we see this successful in, in so many areas. The, the classic game, the one that I love is the, is the frequent flyer mile game, right? So airlines came up with this back in the probably the 90s, I guess, and maybe even earlier. And uh, I actually met the guy. His, his name was uh, Robert Crandall, I think his name was. But he was the guy who created, uh, created that program for American Airlines and really started something. But anyways. He, he was the guy from American Airlines, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. He was the president. Robert Trump. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah. Yep. I, I interviewed him back in the day when I used to be a videographer uh, working at this news station. But anyways, um, cool guy. But the, the point is, if you can gamify something, you know, as humans, we're just really, we're really in line. It's something deep ingrained in our, in our psyche that we love to play games and we love to win. And that's why, why all of our private clubs are successful because there's so many games being played, golf and tennis and paddleball and all these games that we play at private clubs. And if you can turn something into a game, you can be really successful in activating people. So there's lots of different games that can be created. Uh, some of them in, include you know, gamifying the, the membership referral process where maybe you have a leaderboard and you're tracking how many member referrals come in from your existing members. You can gamify things like event attendance. So if uh, you have 10 major events throughout the year, maybe if, if, if someone, one of the members attends at least eight of those 10 events, they're invited to a, a, the New Year's Eve bash at the end of the year that's exclusive to people who have been to these events. So there's lots of things you can gamify at a club and really get people activated and really get them coming back and motivated to keep walking through the doors. So we talked a lot about that throughout the presentation. I think people had a lot of fun with that one. Yeah. Well, it was really interesting because here, here we are, you and I kind of going back and forth presenting and I was taking notes, you know, for what you were saying something. And, and it's, I like to watch the interaction, um, mine and obviously yours when you're speaking. And you said something about, I think you just said it off the cuff, 
that maybe for use of the fitness wellness center, you could gamify that in such that if somebody came at least once a week without fail for one whole year, 52 weeks in a row, you'd have a special party for for them at the end of the year. And I watched when you said that, because I thought, this is a pretty cool idea. And I watched, and right around the room, around this big U room, literally everybody wrote that down. Nice. So I, think that, I think that's going to happen in a few clubs in Arkansas. So it was pretty neat, really. Yeah, well, I think that's Funny, a culturally pervasive thing. Is everybody wants to be in shape and, and whatnot. And that, that just a little extra motivation to make sure that they get in shape at your club. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. It's interesting you mentioned Bob Crandall. He was actually on the Piper's Landing Board of Directors when I did a GM search there about uh, 12 oh. years ago. Small world. That? Oh, yeah. <laughs> How about that? And uh, the name just came out and popped into my head at the time. So it's amazing. We didn't, we didn't pre-record this or uh, <laughs> that was on the spot. It's, it's crazy. What a small world we live in. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting. We, um, other things that, that we do, I think we're, we've got, you know, several scheduled for next year or whatever. And I think what, what we, I, I try and talk about clubs from 30,000 feet, if you will, some of the, the trends that are going on in, in clubs today. And, and uh, you know, there's a bunch of them. You say you can't really, you know, in a short conversation mention them all. But one that I think is really germane to people joining the club is what people want today. People want an experience. They, they don't want just a transaction. They want an interaction. They want a memorable experience that, holy cow, I went to the club and it can be as simple as they remembered my name or, you know, the name of my guest who came two years ago. And, and you know, we know that there's techniques and people can do that and use tricks to remember. But we don't care if you bring your guest in. He hasn't been at the member guest in two years and you bring him in and the staff says, Mr. Jones, it's really great to see you. That, that kind of stuff is really neat. That's an experience that makes you want to go back to that club. It really does. Definitely. Uh, Definitely. Yeah, the other thing that, was that, that I mentioned was sort of the the research that um, Jim Butler, Dr. Jim Butler, who's a club manager for a long, long time and is now joining Club Benchmarking, talked about the difference between member satisfaction and member loyalty. And, you know, they're not the same. You can be a satisfied member and uh, not really be loyal, and you can be a loyal member and have uh, some experiences where you're not really satisfied. But if you can get loyal members, people who join the club and will go out and shout from the rooftops what a great club it is, and uh, Jim, I, I quoted some of the research that uh, Jim Butler is just beginning to put together. And I, I find that pretty exciting, too, because I just think about myself. I'm reasonably loyal, if you will, to, to different brands um, because they do do some of that. I'm a you know a loyal Delta Flyer and, you know, for a lot of good reasons, I think they do some things well. But they, they do things that uh, that they go above and beyond if you fly with them frequently that you just shout from the rooftops. You know, yeah. It's pretty cool. And, so anyway, our presentation together was, was off to a good start. And like I said, we got some good things. And I think we offered a lot of food for thought from different perspectives for people to attract, identify, retain members. You know, and that's what it's all about. If you don't have enough members, you're in trouble. That's right. That's right. So let's talk about one more thing. Uh, so you, you actually gave an example of your son who, in contrast to you really being loyal to certain brands like Delta, for instance, your son just goes ahead and does something completely different. Can you tell folks that look quick story uh, to, to really illustrate? The- uh, yeah. Yeah. My, my, my son, Adam is uh, um, uh, frugal, shall we say. And I, I give him credit because he's probably got a lot more money in the bank than just about everybody. And they live a simple lifestyle, which is good. And you know, the guy's, the guy's awesome. I'm proud of him, obviously. And, but as opposed to saying, I'm going to be like a loyal 
American Express card or City card holder or whatever, he looks online and finds the absolute best deals where that you can get. So if you, for instance, get this particular credit card, they'll give you, um, I'll make this up, 100,000 points that you can use for hotels or airlines. He'll do that. Usually you have like a minimum spend of a couple thousand dollars in the first three months. He'll do that because he travels a lot for business. Uh, once he does that, um, he banks the miles and, you know, he's been coming home from San Francisco for many years now for Christmas. And when I pick him up at the airport, you know, he always flies on a different airline and, and I look, he always shows me his ticket and his, his fee is like a dollar eighty or $10 for some rare tax he's got to pay. <laughs> so he does that. He uses the credit card. He takes them for what they offer. You know, it's fair. It's, and he gamifies it, if you will, and he comes out ahead. So I, I give him a lot of credit. <laughs> so he really watches his dollars, and I don't think he's ever paid for a flight, as far as I know. I'm going to have him listen to this, and he can correct me, but I'm not sure. That's funny. Well, I'm in this, in this generation sandwiched between the millennials and the Gen Xers, really. I'm, I'm kind of in, right in between in 1980, and so it's actually, I feel like I'm in between in my thinking. So just I am somewhat loyal to brands, but also I would do something like your son. So I just actually last night signed up for 60,000 points on Southwest for some credit card because I want to take a couple of trips with my wife on Southwest. But that, that happens to be one of the airlines I fly. Delta and Southwest are kind of my two airlines. So I'm, I'm right in between. Well, <laughs> I have to tell you the truth because my son has been talking to me about this so much. About six months ago, I got the Southwest credit card right. I got the 70,000 points. I got a better deal than you did. And oh, wow. my wife and I are going, we're going to uh, Las Vegas for basically nothing to meet oh. some friends and to celebrate our 38th anniversary uh, in February and meet nice. some friends. So, you know, find out for nothing. So I guess he's worn off, which is good. <laughs> well, that's just one example of a lot of the, of the different things we illustrate during that talk. And I'm excited because we're going up to New Jersey next year. And we have a few more places on the docket that we're talking to. And so I'm looking forward to giving this talk to more chapters around the country and maybe around the world even. Yeah, I am too. Yeah, I am too. Well, we got actually got expressed in a few people um, you know, out of the country. So I, I think what's happening, and you know, as you know, I, I've spoken with um, Greg Patterson a lot. He and I kind of have this synergy you know, that we've developed over time. And I think that'll the synergy between us, I think, is going to grow, and I think we'll continue to get better and better as we interact and you know expand our examples and all that. You know, the, like I said, at the end of the day, you can be the nicest group of people in the whole world, but if you're a hundred members short and from paying the bills, you're not going to last very long. Yep. So. Yeah. For me, at least, it starts and ends with it. <laughs> I know there's lots well, of yeah. things to talk about on the show that's in between, but if you don't have the members, then you're not going to have a club in the end. So this is a super important topic, and I'm, I'm I love that we've teamed up. To to give this to people and, and really spread the word. So thanks for doing that with me, Norm. No, happy to do it. Uh, feeling is mutual, that's for sure. Yep, awesome. I look forward to many, many travels to come. And uh, one last thing before we wrap up, Norm, I always like to, to find out what's happening over at Master Club Advisors. Anything new with you and Gary? Uh, yeah, Gary and I are still continuing to publish the newsletter, getting a lot of good feedback from it. Um, you know, we've... Um, uh, I thought we would struggle in terms of contribution of articles, but they continue to come in. Uh, the, the next issue will be out probably the beginning, second week of December, and we're, we're publishing it six times a year, so that's really pretty good. Gary's busy on a couple searches. Um, I've got a couple that I'm starting after the first of the year, a few strategic plans. So, you know, Gary and I are keeping busy. We, we both really enjoy working with clubs and helping them be successful. 
and, and, you know, I know you've talked to Gary before and he's been, you know, from Masterclass, obviously Gary is one of the most enthusiastic bubbly guys I know. And, you know, um, he's been working with one club in Indiana, helping them grow their membership base and also help finding them uh, a new general manager. So he's been, been on the road for that. Other than that, uh, we're, we're keeping at it. We're having fun. That's awesome. Well, Norm, thanks again. It was great to chat with you and look forward to talking to you in a couple months here again on Masterclass. Thanks very much. Okay. Bye-bye. To learn more about Master Club Advisors, visit them on the web at masterclubadvisors.com and join us next month for another Masterclass. My guest today is Bill O'Brien. He is the Vice President of Operations at Troon. Bill was born and raised in Phoenix, Arizona, and he graduated from the University of Arizona. He's a former general manager and operator of some iconic markets like Scottsdale, Savannah, and San Diego. Bill, welcome to Private Club Radio. Hey, Gabriel. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's good to get you on the show. Now, on your Twitter profile, you say that you love to create spaces for employees to do their best work. And I always think that's a really intriguing quote there. So, Bill, can you explain what what you mean by that, creating those spaces for people to do their best work? For sure, Gabriel. You know, I think maybe what's important is to kind of give you some context as to how I landed on that. And it really stems from uh, reading Simon Sinek's book, Start With Why?, and I, I started reading that book because I was most interested in, in helping clubs understand what it is that they were essentially selling, um, more so than square feet or the names of architects. Right. And in reading this particular book, I, I felt like I owed it to myself to identify why it is I've spent the better part of 30 years um, doing this work. And it was really quite the process. And I found that what gives me my energy and what gives me, you know, my personal and professional um, job satisfaction is, is helping remove problems, uh, helping create spaces where the people I work with each day really get to be the best version of themselves. And as much as it you know, goes that way, it's not always the case, but it's certainly what drives me in, in you know, my discussions with clients, my discussions with employees, my discussion uh, with owners is helping create spaces where the people they see each and every day can really truly do uh, what it is that gives them their energy. And that's what you know, gets me motivated and, and moves me through you know, the day, uh, yeah. Gabe. I love it. I think that's so cool. And so often we talk about, you know, a company's core values or a club's core values, and that's really your own core value. And that's really where you start. So I really like that. That's pretty, pretty neat. It's a good differentiation that, that you make there. Let's talk a little bit about how you'd go about that. How do you actually create some of these spaces and, and what are you doing within Troon to do that, Bill? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think, you know, the work we do essentially in you know, every one of our clubs is is try to deliver financial predictability, and we um, deliver you know experiences that that maximize um, membership satisfaction. That's that's the work we you know take on at each of our clubs. Having said that, a huge part of that is you know hiring people, retaining people that are like minded. And this goes back to creating that space for people to do their best work. If we essentially know what motivates 
our, our teammates, we can build out a, a workspace. We can create a culture that then gives them the best chance of doing their best work, which then gives our members the best chance of feeling like they made the right decision to, to join a particular club. We, we talk a lot, we talk a lot on this podcast about creating spaces that are relevant for members. Mm -hmm. I, I feel just as strongly that we need to create spaces that are relevant for our employees. They need to feel like the best version of themselves when they come into work because they like the space they're in in order for them to do their best work. And so the best way to go about doing that essentially is to ask employees to figure out what it is that they need in order to do that. And then we just take on the task of, of, of tackling those one by one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So getting that direct feedback from, from, from your staff, that's so important. How are you, how are you actually doing that? Or do you, is it as simple as meeting with them one-on-one? Do you send out surveys? How do you actually go about finding out what these staffers want? It's a little bit of everything. Our, our business model is such that, you know, no less than one time each year, we do um, an annual uh, employee survey. Uh, it's also part of our model where we do um, annual employee um, performance uh, evaluations. So we clearly get quite a bit of information back from, from those two activities. Um, the more enlightening work, though, is the work that happens you know, in, in the club, um, when we're there, when our leaders are there, meeting with our employees, asking them what it is that, that they need. Um, I'm a big fan of the one-on-one. And, you know, that happens each week. It's scheduled time, you know, with a fellow employee. And in that space, in that time, we hear about what their challenges are. And those who have, you know, effective cultures really are devoting the right amount of time to hearing what um, associates need. Again, at the end of the day, if I'm doing my best work, it's highly likely that the members are going to feel um, exactly what it is they signed up for. Right. Oh, it, to- it totally it's the trickle down effect for sure. I got to say, like as a as a boss, I think one of my flaws with my own team is that I probably don't don't elicit that feedback enough. I don't ask enough questions. I actually read a book pretty recently called "Leaders Ask Great Questions." I can't remember who wrote it, but maybe John Maxwell might have been him. At any rate, it was it was really good and it got me thinking. But I find a lot of times, you know, there might be something that people don't necessarily want to say or they don't. They're, they're right. light at times. So how do you actually, how do you elicit genuine responses from people, Bill, in, in, in your estimation? You know, that's a really good question. Um, I think you and I both probably uh, have been in working environments where, where leaders or managers feel like they're communicating with their employees because maybe they spend time, you know, side by side, you know, whether it be in the dining room or maybe on the golf course. But to your point, if we're not asking specifically, you know, the kind of questions that um, give us some real insights into whether or not an employee is motivated, whether or not they're satisfied, then we're, we're missing um, a neat opportunity. And I think we just as leaders make a conscientious effort, really a conscientious effort to ask those questions. Yeah. Do you have what you need to be successful? Does this club, does this enterprise give you the advanceability that you seek in your career? And take the time to build it into your business plan. 
meaning you have specific goals about retention, specific goals about professional development. And if truly there's some consensus with the board, with the leadership team that we're going to focus on those areas, it just sets up so well to ask those tough questions and hopefully humanize it in such a way where real relationships are built. I love that. So we have so many metrics about membership and how many members we're going to bring in and if we're going to meet this particular budget, what's our food food and beverage costs and, and all that. But we're not measuring some of the stuff that matters, which like you say, if, if, the, if the staff are, are all in, it really shows and it just gives the members that much more of a greater experience. So I love that, Bill. We've never actually tackled that on the show. So I appreciate you bringing that to the table. What are some other leadership pitfalls that you see, Bill? Gabriel, really good question. In some instances, I think a few managers have have mistakenly shaped their duties for what they think they should be rather than what they really need to be. And what I mean by that is um, if as a leader at a club, we're not in the spaces where our members gather and where our employees work we're missing a great opportunity to affect our club's culture. Mm-hmm. And in too many cases, we've talked about it on your show now for quite some time. If a board is doing its work in such a way where our leaders are constantly curating data to help assemble a report, which is important work, it also means that those leaders aren't in the spaces where employees need their attention. And so I think to answer your question, um, the idea here is not mistaking our duties such that we're constantly accumulating data, but we're in the spaces where people need our attention. And when we're in those spaces, when we're with our employees, when we're with our members, it's far likelier we're going to hear and see and, and, and understand the real issues facing um, the club. Whereas if we're only looking at it maybe through the purview of a report, we, uh, we're only seeing one side of it. Right. Yeah. So you really got to get out of the office, it sounds like. Yeah, that's a really long way of saying that management by walking around is an essential part of effective leadership. And in too many cases, the meetings, the reports uh, pull us away from being in the spaces where we really need to be visible, where we really need to deliver um, feedback in real time. We liken it to some extent, if you were a coach and you were teaching um, the golf swing, you certainly wouldn't mail it in from your office. You're, you're on the <laughs> range with your student giving feedback in real time. And I guess just in too many instances, because there's so many demands, uh, we're not in those spaces as often as we can or need to be. Yeah, I love the analogy. That's a good one. Um, well, let's talk again here about shifting focus. So I know so many of our clubs are focused on new sales and new members and driving new membership. And they're not focusing on the retention side. I know you've got some thoughts about that. Can you share some of those with us, Bill? I sure do. I, I think retention and, and growth are um, two sides of the same coin. And to the extent it's becoming, you know, difficult essentially to generate qualified leads, to convert those leads. Um, It's maybe not nearly as difficult, one would believe, to take care of the member you already have. And we've heard it on your show before, um, reminding members that they made the right decision to stay Mm -hmm. 
is every bit as important as the outreach we do to attract new members. And so have we given the right amount of time? Have we set up the right process to engage a member uh, long after he or she joined? Do we understand how often they're coming to the club? Uh, Do we understand what their preferences are, what their behaviors are? And if we're not using that information to remind a member routinely that they made the right decision to join, they're more at risk of leaving. And I think you and I have discussed two separately where we've heard club operators share some concern about reaching out to a member who hasn't been to a club in six months or nine months because he or she's concerned they may leave. You know, what a, what a shame in as much how, how better would it be for us to reach out to that member, re-engage them in the club and know for certain that we've created a connection and they're less likely to leave. Yeah. Yeah. I I had a client this summer and um, what you're referring to there. So for the listeners that didn't hear the conversation, what, what what Bill's referring to is I was telling him how one of my clients they have they they were scared to actually send an email reminding members that they had to pay their next annual dues because they thought well if if we haven't heard from them in a year and now they're just getting their their renewal letter from us they're gonna they're gonna resign because they're they're not actually coming to the club <laughs> I said I think you're right. approaching this completely opposite way you need to find ways to. For members who can't walk through your doors to actually feel the value of the club without actually being there. And I give them some ideas on how to do that. But um, <laughs> it is crazy where so many, so many clubs, they, they're so reactive instead of proactive. And Bill, how, how would you go about approaching that? How, how do you help your teams to be more proactive in their approach rather than reactive? Well, I think first, Gabe, we need to understand what are the attrition trends um, at our clubs, who's leaving and why. And it starts by asking, you know, the right questions and, and really understanding, you know, the reasons why a member chooses to leave and not, I would say, you know, be satisfied with some generic term like usage or expense and really understand, again, what's what's driving um, the departure. The other part of this is building out um, a thoughtful, careful plan that um, recognizes that, you know, if a member isn't coming to a club as frequently as he or she used to come to the club, we need to understand when that happens. And so is that a report out of your operating system that shows rounds of golf played by month, uh, dining covers, um, by month. If we're not looking at that kind of information, um, then certainly an opportunity. And I think the second part of it, and it speaks to a bigger issue, uh, Gabe, you know, have we cultivated um, within our clubs this this sales and retention culture? Mm-hmm. Meaning, is there a meeting happening every week where we're looking at the spending habits of our members? Mm-hmm. As you and I both know, if we're highly active and highly engaged members, it's very difficult for us to spend another day at the club or play another round of golf or eat another meal. But most economic law would suggest that about 80% of your results are driven by that same 20% of your members. And so if we were able to just sneak into that small portion of members who's on the cusp of leaving or coming back into the club, we can grow our our business results dramatically. And it's just having a plan, having a meeting that clearly, you know, looks at whether or not 
people have stopped coming to the facilities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. What are you using to analyze those trends? Is there a particular software that you prefer or what sort of, what sort of stuff are you using, Bill? It's, it's not overly complicated. A lot of the clubs within the Troon portfolios use Jonas as an operating system, but any operating system is going to be able to push out a report that tells us how many rounds of golf are played, how many um, covers are, are served by meal period, by day a week. And it's essentially just asking the right question. You know, are the members engaged or utilizing the club facilities? Yeah. I think it can be really overwhelming for, for managers and for other of the staff because sometimes there's almost too much data. So if there right. were like five or you know just a few data points that you think are the most critical data points that clubs should be looking at in terms of membership retention, where would you be focusing your time and efforts on? You know, it's a good question. And it maybe starts with, because every club's going to have a different data point that matters to that particular club. Um, focus groups are widely overlooked, Gabe. And if each of our clubs were able to just simply go through their operating system reports, identify who's dropped off in terms of round of golf, who's dropped off in terms of, uh, you know, dining covers and or who hasn't spent any money at the club besides maybe their dues in the last 60 days, we're going to have some good insights as to the people we should talk to. And so if we were to take, you know, those three metrics, assemble a small team of members who've stopped coming to the club, uh, use demographics, use membership types, put together a small group of people who then can be asked a series of questions as to why maybe they've stopped. And from that, we can then build out some plans to tackle that issue. But it's not much more complicated than maybe identifying those two or three um, metrics and then assembling the right group of members into a small room where the GM and another leader facilitated discussion on why people have stopped coming. Right. Yeah. No, I love that. I, I love that a lot. Let's talk about uh, non-member income. So clubs, you know, that are holding events, maybe they're holding weddings, and, and, but they're not actually tracking where it comes from. Do you have any solutions for, for clubs like that or, or are there any pitfalls that they should recognize there? Really good question. I, I, it's such a huge part of a club's anticipated revenue stream, but it speaks to the issue you and I are discussing today. And that's really whether or not there's an active sales culture um, at the club. So if in fact, non-member event activity, golf tournaments, weddings, corporate meetings, et cetera, play a role, yet we don't track when those events occur or when they are likely to occur, it's very difficult for us to respond in the year for the year. And maybe even more so if I'm a sales leader um, at a club, perhaps in catering um, or perhaps in golf, if I don't know whether or not that group's contracted to come back for a second or third year, I have some exposure. And what we're saying here is that financial predictability requires that we look at these metrics on a regular basis. So in that weekly sales meeting, not only am I listening to the sales leader talk about where qualified leads are being generated, maybe what the conversion rate is by lead source, but I also want to understand how much non-member catering I have on the books through the end of a particular period. How does that compare to prior year, which then allows me to plan accordingly. Mm -hmm. And again, 
some will diminish the value of non-member income in taking, I guess, what a for-profit approach to driving those revenues. Yet nearly every one of the nonprofit clubs caters to and considers that non-member income in their budgeting. So we have to be really smart about how we go about accumulating leads for those types of activities. And again, it goes back to that weekly sales meeting. If there's a culture of sales, we're constantly aware of our top line activities. Right. Yeah. And it's just as, as simple as, as building that culture, it sounds like. Um, you, I know you have some other observations on how public and private clubs are actually a little bit more similar than they are dissimilar. So I'd love to hear those, Bill. I do. I Again, no one can simulate the challenges brought on by you know, the process of, of governance, the committee process, the board process, those are difficult, challenging activities that requires a lot of skill and nuance. Um, and again, it's difficult to simulate that without having gone through it. You know, having said that, the focus on driving business results is something the for-profit operators um, are, are taught, and it's reinforced from the earliest days in that space. And so, for example, the notion of case reporting. Again, if you're a private club and you're relying on non-member income to either minimize your dues or bolster activity throughout the club, having a real clear sense as to what that catering pace looks like um, is essential. And that's an activity that happens in a for-profit club, either daily fee, municipal, um, perhaps a resort. And Activating that type of awareness in a private club setting just means that that sales leader, that food and beverage director, that catering sales manager is going to give their membership committee and their finance committee some confidence that they're looking at the right issues. Yep. Yep. I love that. And uh, what other, is there any other ways that you think that, you know, there's, there's some lessons to be learned from the, from the uh, public side in the private club world? You know, I would tell you, in the public space, um, especially in the high-end daily fee space, you get one shot to make a a pretty remarkable impression. Because whether or not that person comes back, you know, to celebrate a special occasion the following year depends on whether or not you use their name, depends on whether or not you hit on all cylinders throughout the experience. And I'm not saying we don't do that. Um, in a private setting, but my observations are that hospitality, you know, using a member name, using a guest uh, name at the right time throughout the experience, reminding that guest and or member to come back and visit again are things we don't often consider as much in the private space because we know that member's coming back to a large extent. And so, right? I hear, you know, all the time in my dealings, Members essentially want two things at their club. They want financial predictability and they want consistent, predictable, polished service. And so what does that mean? It means you know who I am. It means you know who my guest is. And you remind me throughout my experience that you're paying attention to me. And the work in the public space is hyper-focused on that, certainly like in a resort environment, um, where if we were to adopt a few more of those best practices, um, into the private space, I think members would get a more hospitable experience. Yeah, totally. I, I was just playing actually the uh, club championship at my club and I thought horrible, by the way. It was two days of, of agony for me. 
<laughs> torture. But both, but both days, the head pro was out there. He was talking. He was talking to everybody on the range and kind of announcing which groups were going off next. And every single person he talked to, he said, "Thank you so much for being here. We we, we really enjoyed having you, Mr. Aloisi, or whoever the member's name was." And I just thought that was such a nice touch. And at first, I was like, you know, why is he saying that? Of course, we all want to play the club championship, but it it just it really resonated that he cared about us being there and, and partaking and being part of the club and coming back again and again. And so I think you're, I think you're spot it's essential Gabe. It really is. And it happens throughout the entire experience. Once you and your guest arrive in your club's entryway is someone there letting the next person in the, the, the flow of that experience, know that you and your guest have arrived and, and shared that with someone maybe in the golf shop or someone in the dining room. And then as someone in the dining room, you know, reminding someone in the locker room that you and your guest are about to enter. And it's just taking service to the next level, really humanizing it. And again, I know many private clubs do that very well. Um, I think what we're saying, though, is that a public space operator has to do that work because there's no guarantee somebody's coming back tomorrow. And the more we're focused on hospitality, the more we tend to, to do the work that our members want us to do. Yep. Very well said. I think those are some great lessons. I have a ton of takeaways, Bill. So thank you for so much coming on today's episode. If folks want to talk to you, learn more about you, I know you're active on Twitter. How else do they find you, Bill? Uh, LinkedIn. I spend quite a bit of time um, there when I have some social media uh, opportunities. You know, Otherwise, an email, uh, Gabriel's, is real simple. B.O'Brien at Troon.com is a great way to hold uh, get a hold of me. Um, for sure. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I'm glad we finally got to do this. It was just a pleasure to have you on today's show. Uh, Gabe, thank you. It's a real treat. I enjoy this industry. I enjoy the challenges it provides. What a great way to uh, connect with people, connect with you know members and associates and industry stakeholders like yourself. It's been a real treat for uh, for me, for sure. The best industry in the world. We'll talk to you soon, Bill. All right, Gabe. Thank you. I don't know what it is in the water over there at Troon, but every time I speak with someone from Troon, they've always got a unique perspective. I love so many things that Bill had to say in that interview. But we've had Ricky Potts of Troon on, we've had Jim McLaughlin of Troon on, and always something interesting comes out of those conversations. So something's going on right over there. Anyways, I appreciate you being here with me once again on Private Club Radio. I'm headed over to Belfast to the Club Leadership Summit this week. And don't forget to bid on those auction items, some really interesting items there. I'll catch you back here next week on the 100th episode of Private Club Radio. You could probably hear the excitement in my voice interviewing over 100 people on this show. It's been such an honor. That's all I can say. And the tables are getting turned on me next week as Rick Coffey will interview me about my experiences on the show and we're going to hear from a lot of listeners and it's going to be a blast i promise you don't miss it i'll catch you back here next week until then here's to your membership success private club radio is brought to you by the private club agency the premier marketing and consulting firm dedicated to helping clubs increase and retain their membership Visit privateclubagency.com to learn more.